0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, a few weeks ago when I was here on a Sunday evening, I said I was going to start to look at Matthew chapter 24 and 25, which is teaching that Jesus gave about his return, about his second coming about what the Bible sometimes calls the day of the Lord. I suggested to you that evening that if you want to find out about the return of Christ, the the place not to go to first of all is the book of Revelation, which is uh, in some ways a difficult book, although I think it, it can be quite clear if we understand its nature. But better first to go to the clear teaching of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. And I thought I would do that, looking at Matthew 24 mainly, uh, under three headings. First of all, uh, what Jesus said about what would happen before he returns. Uh, Secondly, and we're going to look at this this morning, God willing, what would happen when he returns. And then thirdly, and I want to look at this tonight, God willing, how we can be ready for his return. And then he actually told some parables in chapter 25 that are related to his return and perhaps we'll look at some of those at a future date, God willing. What will happen before he returns? Now, I made clear, I hope, and was at pains to point out that the Bible doesn't give us, as it were, a checklist. There are some people who I think that you can read the Bible and you can write out this must happen, that must happen, the other thing must happen, and we'll tick them off as they happen. And when they've all been ticked off, then Jesus will come back again. He doesn't do that. What he tells us basically in chapter 24 is the sort of world that we must live in before he returns. In the last days, between his first coming and his second coming, this is the world you would have to live in. And he fits it very, very plainly. He says, uh, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it, you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Then he speaks about uh, persecution of the church. And he says, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But those who endure to the end, will be saved. You put those things together and he's simply saying, this is the world that you will have to live in. And it's the world that every generation of Christians has had to live in. Every generation has lived through its wars and its famines and its persecution. And many have grown cold. But those who endure to the end will be saved, Jesus says. That's the world you will have to live in before he comes back. But I want to turn now to ask what will happen when he comes back. By the way that world that Jesus described you will see is quite a fearful world isn't it? Wars, rumours of wars famines, earthquakes, persecution but elsewhere in Luke chapter 21 uh, Jesus said when you see these things look up for the day of your redemption draws nigh. Don't be afraid. God is sovereign. God is in control God is working out his plans and purposes even in this wicked and troubled and dangerous world well let's turn then to the question what will happen when jesus returns how will he return i want to say four four things that are not mutually exclusive but um, sometimes they overlap a little bit first of all i want to say his coming will be unexpected without warning but obvious secondly it will Bring tremendous cosmic changes. That means changes to the world and the universe. Thirdly, it will be visible and audible, not a secret coming. And lastly, it will immediately divide men and women and bring men, all men and women to the judgment seat of Christ, to the last judgment. It will divide them into those who know him and those who don't. Firstly, it will be unexpected without warning but obvious you see the the imagery that jesus uses here in this uh, 24th chapter of matthew's gospel if anyone tells you there he is there's the christ out in the desert don't go out or if he's in the he's in the inner room don't believe it for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west so will the coming of the son of man be it'll be like lightning sudden sudden Obvious. Don't be misled. Don't, don't listen to anyone who says, Look, he's already appeared somewhere or other in this world. He's, he's over in Palestine or he's over in America. People have done that over the years. If someone has arisen and claimed to be a Messiah and, and gathered a whole lot of followers around them, Tap Moon, who's the founder of the Moonies back in the 50s, gathered, gathered thousands of people after him claiming to be the Christ. Read Matthew 24. If anyone says, "Here he is, in the Christ," uh, uh, that guy Moon over there, and where was it, South Korea or somewhere like that? I've forgotten where he came from. You don't believe that sort of thing. No. When Jesus comes, it'll be like the lightning shining from the east to the west, and it'll be obvious. There's a a little verse here that I often struggle with, but I think I've come to understand it now, and I'll tell you what my understanding of it is anyway, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 28. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Did you ever read that verse and wonder, what Jesus talking about there? Wherever there's a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Now, I have never been uh, anywhere like Africa or a desert. The nearest I got to a desert was when I was in Israel, when I was studying for the ministry and we got to to look out out over the Sinai Desert, just briefly, but we weren't in it. But I understand that if an animal, a, a large animal particularly would die in the middle of a desert, how would you find it? Well, one pretty sure clue would be if you saw the vultures circling overhead. It would be obvious where it is because the vultures would be circling. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. When he comes again, it'll be obvious, like the vultures circling over a carcass. A man called France, who wrote a a commentary on the the Gospel of Matthew, puts it just like this, and I think he puts it very well. As the presence of the vultures infallibly indicates where the corpse is, so there will be no need to search for the coming of the Son of Man it will be obvious. I think that's all that Jesus is saying there. Lightning shining from the east to the west, vultures over the corpse, making it absolutely plain that where it is and so on, it will be obvious. But life will be going on before Jesus comes unexpectedly and suddenly, as in the days before the flood. Verse 38, we're told people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage Up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You see, you put what Jesus said earlier on in this chapter together with these couple of verses. What he said was you're going to have to live in a world that's got its wars and its rumors of wars and its famines and its earthquakes. It'll be a difficult world. It'll be a dangerous world. It'll be a troubled world. Every generation of Christian will have to live in that sort of world. But life will be going on. There'll be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. That's why I don't worry about a nuclear holocaust, for example. The not going to end with the world is not going to end with that. It's going to end when Jesus comes again like lightning. People will be living normally eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. That's what it was like before the flood, of Noah's day. and Noah spent 120 years building the ark. It was there playing for people to see and he was a preacher of righteousness, we are told. He warned people of a coming flood but the vast majority of people in his day didn't listen to him. But the day came when Noah and the animals were taken into the ark and God shut the door and the flood came. And up until that day, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. So it will be, isn't it plain? So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. It'll be sudden, without warning, but very obvious. Peter speaks of it in Second Peter chapter three and from verse second uh, Peter chapter three and from verse three onwards, if I could just read a few of those verses with you. He says, You must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, Where is this coming? he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has done from the beginning of creation. Peter had people in his day, and we have them in our day, who would say to Christian folks, you talk about the coming of Christ. You say that Jesus is going to come at the end of time and bring this world to an end. Where is it? Sure, the world has always been going on the way it, has, the way it is now. The evolutionists in particular say, it began billions of years ago with a big bang, and everything has just happened by chance, and life has just come upon this earth by chance, and it's all been going on the same way. And you talk about Jesus coming again to bring it to an end. Where is this coming? They would mock and scoff. But Peter goes on to say, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens that existed in the earth that was formed out of water and by water and by these waters all, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for destruction by fire. People who say everything has just gone on the same way for thousands, for millions of years—that's what the, our evolutionary friends would say. No creator, no, no one who, who who started life off in the beginning. No, it's just all happened by chance. It's all been going on and on and on for millions of years. They forget it hasn't. There was a time when God intervened and destroyed this world. In judgment by a flood and he'll do the same again Peter says but this time not by water but by fire and it will be unexpected without warning but obvious when Jesus returns and that leads me to the second thing it will be with tremendous cosmic changes by that I mean changes in the world and the universe itself in fact the Old Testament and the New speak in very vivid language about this sort of thing, about the day of the Lord. Listen to Joel, for example, not worry about the details of what he's saying, but in Joel chapter 2, um, verses 1 and 2, he speaks of the day of the Lord, which is coming. And that's a reference ultimately to the day when Jesus returns. He says it's close at hand. And here's how he describes it, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of Clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. And so, uh, like dawn spreading across the mountains. Darkness and gloom and blackness. It's very vivid imagery, isn't it? And you see that same imagery elsewhere. Here in Matthew 24, Jesus actually quotes the prophet Isaiah. Listen to the imagery uh, that Isaiah uses, as Jesus quotes him in verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now, that sounds like a, a like, tremendous cosmic changes to me, doesn't it? Stars falling from the sky and heavenly bodies shaken, and so on. This is no ordinary event. In 2 Peter 3 again, Peter refers to it like this. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear like a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be led bare. And John, writing in the book of Revelation in chapter 6 and verse 12, he speaks of that day when uh, the day of judgment comes and there'll be a great earthquake and the sun will turn black like sackcloth made of goat's hair and the moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky uh, fell from the sky to the earth like... The, late figs dropped from a fig tree and the sky itself rolled up like a scroll. It's very vivid language describing tremendous cosmic change. In other words, what what we're being told in the Bible is simply this, that this old order that we see, this world, this universe, in fact, all its vastness, according to the scriptures, as I read them, will be wound up, will come to an end. And Jesus will create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's very different from the the teachings of modern evolutionists and so on. Many scientists who think that, that the world has always gone on at least for billions of years and the universe has always gone on for billions of years and it always will go on. No, not according to the scriptures. It will be wound up when Jesus comes again. God created it in the beginning by the Part of his word, men sinned and rebelled against him so that God destroyed it at the time of Noah by a flood, and he will destroy it one day again by fire, and create a new heaven and a new earth. Tremendous cosmic changes. The third thing, this coming of Jesus, when all of this happens, will be visible and audible and not secret. Now, I've already touched on that and mentioned it from time to time, but look at the language which Jesus uses here. Verse 30, At that time the the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Nothing secret about that. sure. There's not the nations of the earth. They will see Jesus come again, That's what uh, the angels told the disciples when uh, Jesus was taken up into heaven. This Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven will come again in the same way. You saw him go, you will see him come again. Verse 31 tells us that it will be accompanied by a loud trumpet call. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to another right into the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13 Uh, Peter, or Paul rather says much the same thing in the following verses he says, according to the Lord's own word we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left to the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep and listen to this for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first Nothing secret about that I emphasize that because there are those who have suggested that the coming of Jesus will be a secret coming it 's something that 's been promoted and i don 't know whether you have a schofield reference Bible in your house or not. nothing wrong with the Bible part of it 's just the authorized version but it 's the schofield notes that go with it c i Schofield back in the 1800s popularized this and it's been it 's been adopted by Different groups of of professing Christians, that, that Jesus will come secretly to take his people home. They speak of that as the rapture. And then after a thousand years he will come back again to judge all the rest of mankind. I can't see anything like that in the Bible. There's nothing secret about the return of Christ as he mentions it here. Trumpets, the voice of the archangel, lightning shining from the east to the west, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. What's secret about that? No. It will be open and obvious. Visible and audible. Every eye shall see him. And that leads me to the last thing I want to say this morning. First thing was that his coming will be unexpected without warning. Secondly, that it will bring great cosmic changes. In fact, this whole world and universe will be wound up and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The third thing is that it will be visible and audible and not secret. And the last thing, this coming will immediately divide men and women and lead them to the last judgment, lead to the last judgment. See, again, tied in with the Schofield idea, this idea that there will be a secret rapture and then a thousand years later, a millennium later, there will be a, a, the judgment of the wicked. But when you look at the references to the day of judgment in the judgment in the Gospels, it's all happening together. There's no suggestion of a, of a thousand-year break between the, the taking of God's people away and the judgment of the rest. Look at verse 37 here. As it was in the days of Noah. We've already referred to this. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus has his coming clearly in view here. It will be like this when he comes. It will be visible. It will be audible. It will be like the days of Noah when there will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And when that day came, when Noah entered the ark, do you remember? There were basically those inside the ark. Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight souls in all, plus all the animals that God brought to him. They were saved, and all the others perished. And so when Jesus comes, there will be those who are in Christ. That's a lovely picture of the gospel, that, isn't it? There will be those who are in Christ, and who will be saved. And all the others will be lost. Listen to First Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 onwards. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. And we here, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Paul's speaking there to Christians in Thessalonica. That's what they can look forward to. But those who don't know the Savior don't have that hope. All they can look forward to, as the writer to the Hebrews says, is a fearful expectation of judgment. And the Bible puts all of these things together. Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven, the dead rising, and the judgment taking place. Chapters 24, 25 of Matthew are one discourse all about that time. If you look at chapter 25, verse 1, at that time. What has he been talking about? He's been talking about his return. And that that time, he says, and he goes on to give three parables which refer to what will happen at that time. The last of them, of course, is the parable of the sheep and the goats. A clear picture of judgment. He will separate men and women into those on his right and those on his left, the sheep on his right, those who know him, those on his left who don't. And he will say to those on his right, come ye blessed into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But to those on his left, he will say, depart from me into everlasting punishment prepared for the devil and his angels. Not two judgments separated by a thousand years, but one, when Jesus comes, he will immediately divide men and women, and they will be brought to the final judgment. Now, it seems to me that that is what the Bible teaches about that day when Jesus returns. Suddenly, obviously, unexpectedly, not secretly, and bringing everyone to the final judgment. John Bunyan understood these truths. I make no apology for referring to him often. And if you have never got Pilgrim's Progress yet, if you have never read it, let me ask you again or or encourage you to get it and to read it. Because he was, as someone said about John Bunyan, if you pricked him anywhere, his blood would be bibline. He was just full of the scriptures, in other words. He knew it so well. And at the beginning of his book, he tells us about his pilgrim, Christian, who comes to the house of the interpreter. Now, the house of the interpreter is just a picture of the the teaching of the Holy Spirit. The, The interpreter speaks of the Holy Spirit who teaches Christians different things from the Scriptures. And in the book, it's pictured as an allegory, as if Christian is taken from room to room and shown various things and taught various truths. So listen to this as I read part of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress Christians in the house of the interpreter and the interpreter took Christian by the hand again and led him into a room where there was one rising out of a bed you can imagine this can't you as you as you listen to it Uh, and as he put on his clothes he shook and trembled then said Christian to the interpreter why is this man trembling and the interpreter said uh, bid the man to tell Christian the reason for him doing so and so the man began and said this night as I was in my sleep I dreamed as I read these men and women think about some of the things we've already said because this is Biblion this is, this is a biblical teaching about the return of Christ about the day of judgment as I was in my sleep I dreamed and behold the heavens grew exceeding black also it thundered and lightened in the most fearful wise that it put me in an agony the languages." 17th century language, you'll understand that, I'm sure. So I looked up in my dream, and I saw the clouds toss at an unusual rate, upon which I heard the great sound of a trumpet, and also a man sitting upon a cloud, attended with the thousands of heaven. They were all in flaming fire, and the heavens were a burning flame. I heard then a voice saying, Arise ye dead, and come to judgment. And with that The rocks rent and the graves opened, and the dead that were therein came forth. Some of them were exceeding glad and looked upwards, and some sought to hide themselves under the mountains. And I saw the man that sat upon the cloud open the book and bid the world draw near. Every sentence in this is just straight from the scriptures. Bunyan knew the scriptures so well. I saw the man who sat on the cloud open the book and bid the world draw near. That there was by reason of the fierce flame that issued out and came from before him a convenient distance between him and them as between a judge and the prisoner at the bar. And I heard it proclaim to them that attended on the man that sat in the cloud. The angels, in other words, gathered together the tears, the chaff and the stubble, cast them into the burning lake. And with that, the bottomless pit opened just about where I stood and out of the mouth of which there came in an abundant manner smoke and coals of fire and hideous noises. It was also said to the same person, the angels, gather the wheat into my garner. With that I saw many caught up and carried away into the clouds. But I was left behind. This is the man who had the dream said that. I also sought to hide myself, but I could not, for the man that sat upon the cloud still kept his eye on me. My sins also came into my mind, and my conscience did accuse me on every side. Upon this I awakened from my sleep. No wonder he trembled, sure not, when he had a dream like that. And yet, that's what scripture says will happen when Jesus comes again, and calls everyone to judgment, the dead are raised, divided and judged by Jesus, who will be the judge. Isn't that why, as I said to the boys and girls, we don't get this wrong. We don't get this wrong. We've got to know the Savior and be sure about it and not be mistaken. Let's pray together.